0: All right, Angie is going to
1: come up and make an introduction. But first, I'm going to make you stand. Oh, stop with your grumbling. Bunch of whiners. You sound like the children of Israel. Thank you, Jordan. Let's pray. They still whined. (laughs) Father, we just thank you for the opportunity to come before you, to come and celebrate your name. Look what all you have done. You're good, and you are great, and you are awesome in this place. And right now we turn all of our affections toward you. We fix our gaze on you, Jesus. You are what we want. You are all that we need. And we just thank you. We thank you. We thank you for loving us. Amen. All right, you guys can sit down. I, I am so excited about this morning. I have been waiting For this morning, for two weeks, two weeks, two weeks, the longest two weeks of my life. Okay, I'm being dramatic (laughs) because that was probably closer to my due date with any of my six children. You know, those last few weeks are the longest. But this I have been so excited about because Pepper is going to come up here and she's going to teach And it is going to be absolutely phenomenal because what Pepper carries into a room is tangible. You can feel it. I can feel her coming. She's like a freight train. You know what I'm saying? Like, seriously, have you encountered her? No? Well, you're about to. You're about to. Pepper and I met, if you haven't heard the story, in the comments on Facebook. She said, "Good morning from Topeka, Kansas." Well, we were on a broadcast from Canada. Yes, and I said, "Hello, fellow Kansan." And the next thing I know, she was here. She and Jonathan showed up here, and they snuck in a little bit late because they came from Topeka, Kansas. And afterwards, I went up and introduced myself like you know a, a good leader would do. And hello, my name is Angie. And she's like, "It's Pat." And I was like, no freaking way, right? Like, how often does that happen that somebody from the comments shows up? But it was orchestrated. God does wild things. So after that, Pepper and I met downstairs in my office for four and a half hours, I believe it was. It was supposed to be like, you know, an hour long thing, but we couldn't shut up, neither of us, because we had a lot to say. And from that moment on, God was just preparing us for a partnership that, that, and I didn't even know, we didn't know the the whole story behind what it was that he was bringing to the table here for us, not just me, but us. I had no idea because she came very humble, <laughs> very humble and hidden, right? Yes, humble and hidden. and um, But what God has done since then has been nothing short of miraculous. Because when he brings people into our lives for a purpose and intention, things start breaking open. And she and Pepper have been coming. They come every other Sunday, in case you're wondering, because Jonathan works at the VA hospital in Topeka. And that's just what his schedule allows. But they're always with us. And we made the decision through prayer to bring Pepper on as part of our leadership here. It was the right thing to do. And since then, things have really began to open up. And, you know, we had Rebecca in like a month ago for the conference. And that was just a whole other thing on top of it. And if you have felt like you are under fire in the last month or in the fire If you feel like God's heavy hand has been on you, good! Right? This is good. He's preparing us for what it is that he is about to do. It says in the last days that he will pour out his spirit on his sons and daughters. And he's preparing us as sons and daughters. And part of that for this house is having pepper come and being a part of what it is that we're doing at a high level. Because what she is is an intercessor. You see, Pepper isn't just a little old lady that just, you know, shrinks in a little prayer closet. No, Pepper expands and clears the land. That's what she does. So as she comes this morning to teach, could you just stand? I just want you to stand, and I want you to applaud what it is that God is doing in her life. Pepper? Come on! Thank you. Thank you. Oh, dear friends. You guys, you're not ready for this. (laughs) Sit down, put your seatbelts on. This is going to be a ride.
0: Thank you. Good morning. if you see me trembling, it's not nerves. It's the heaviness of the weight of the Lord that's here. So if you're waiting for one of those prayers that say, Holy Spirit, come. It's not happening today because he's here. He's here. He's here. I just want to get you in position. I just want to get you focused. I just want to bind distraction. Go ahead, John, with that Lamb of God. How many know we are kings and priests unto our God? So our job as kings and priests is not just to one another. Our job is also to God, to the Lamb. It's our job to minister to Him. And I want to, I want to take you. See, I'm already in the throne room. And if you're not there, I want to take you. Because I want to tell you, you are there. Because we are by located You just need to be aware of where you are. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make you aware of where you are. You know, you know where you are. In this room right now, you know you're sitting in these chairs in your physical body. But what would it be like if you didn't know where you were? If you didn't know where you were in the physical realm, you wouldn't even be able to get up and know where you're going. So when you don't know where you are in the spirit, when you don't know where you're seated, Scripture tells us we're seated together with Christ in heavenly places, in heavenly places. And so we have something the angels don't even have. We're bilocated. We're spirit, and we're also body. And right now, we're going to function like the spirits that we are. This isn't my message. I'm just taking you there. I'm just taking you there. I'm binding your distraction. I'm going to read this to you. This is Revelation 4, and you don't have to go there. I just want you to speak to your soul. Speak to your soul. Do you know that you're an employer? You're a boss. And your first employee... Is you. It's your soul. And you get to boss your soul around and you get to command your soul. And you get to say, be still, soul. You get to say, be still, soul. I command you, soul. Put your trust in the Lord. You get to speak to your soul right now. Your soul is your mind. Your soul is your will. Your soul is your emotions. So you get to tell your soul, focus, soul. I command you, focus. Draw yourself in away from your week, your day, even your morning, even five minutes ago. Sit in your heavenly place as a king and a priest. Minister unto the Lord. Minister unto the Lord. Then suddenly, after I wrote down these messages, I saw a portal open into the heavenly realm. And the same trumpet voice I heard speaking with me at the beginning said, ascend into this realm. I want to reveal to you what must happen after this. Instantly, instantly. It didn't take three worship songs. Instantly. It didn't take 20 hours of intercession. Five hours of repentance. He said, instantly, I was in the spirit. Instantly, I was taken into the spirit realm. And behold, I saw a heavenly throne being set in place and someone seated upon it. His appearance was sparkling like crystal and glowing like a carnelian gemstone. Surrounding the throne was a circle of green light. Like an emerald rainbow encircling the great throne were 24 thrones with 24 elders. Just let your mind get the picture. Don't rush it. Use your holy imagination to take you to the throne room. Use your holy imagination. Close your eyes. You don't see anything around you. You don't even see me. Close your eyes. Encircling the great throne were 24 thrones with elders and glistening white garments seated upon them, each wearing a golden crown of victory. And pulsing from the throne were blinding flashes of lightning, crashes of thunder, and voices. Yeah, heaven's peaceful. Heaven's calm. But there's thunder. There's lightning. There's myriads and myriads and myriads of angels. Can you imagine the sound of merits of angels that cannot be numbered all worshiping the king of kings, the Lord of lords with one voice? They are ministering to him. Don't let the angels out outdo us. We are kings and priests unto our God. We serve him. And in front of the throne, There was pavement like a crystal sea of glass. Around the throne and on each side stood four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. It takes spiritual sight to see him. It takes spiritual sight to see him. Open the eyes of your heart. Open the eyes of your heart. Lord, I speak in this place that every eye of our heart would be opened. Open the eyes of your heart. The first living creature resembled a lion. The second, an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. Each of the four living creatures had six wings full of eyes all around and under. They had eyes to see him. They had wings to spread out and worship him. Think of the grandeur of this. No matter how many times you've read this, Let the eyes of your spirit, let you see it new today. His mercies are new every day. There's a new level of glory for every day. Yesterday's glory was good, but see him now with all the eyes of the spirit. See him now with your wings of worship spread out. Each of the four living creatures had six wings full of eyes all around and under their wings. They worshiped without ceasing, day and night, singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Shout with me in this place. On three, one, two, three, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty that was, the is, and the coming. And whenever the living creatures gave glory, honor, and thanks to the one who is enthroned and lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell face down before the one seated on the throne, and they worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they surra- surrendered their crowns before the throne, singing, You are worthy. You are worthy O oh Lord God. You are worthy You are worthy O oh Lord God. You are worthy to receive glory, honor and power and praise. You are worthy You are worthy Lord God. You are worthy to receive glory, honor and praise. For you created all things, and for your pleasure, they were created to exist. Now, as you are seated in your place, in your position where you belong, the enemy is gonna come and try to distract your mind. He's gonna try to make you lose your focus. He's going to try to tell you you don't deserve to be seated in this place because you know what you did yesterday? You know what you said? Well, I know how to solve that problem. Father, in the name of Jesus, we repent for everything we've done wrong that we've committed against you in word and in deed. And we legally take our place. We legally, we have a right to be there. And we're not going to let the enemy keep us out. Right? We're not going to let the enemy keep us out. Because you know what we're doing. We're getting ready to have communion. I'm not talking about physical communion with wafers and cups. And that's good. Because that's prophetic. And I love it. I love it because it's prophetic. But we're getting ready. To have communion. Because we're getting ready to break open his body. We're getting ready to spill out his blood. He said if you don't eat my flesh. And you don't drink my blood. There's no life in you. So we're getting ready to partake of communion. But you can't partake of it unworthily. So as we transition, as we transition in the word, listen attentively. But stay in this place. It's not compartmentalized. It's all one holy place. Stay in the throne room. Just like you're going to stay in this room until you leave, until you leave, stay in the throne room. So father, once again, in the name of Jesus, I take authority and I capture all of our thoughts that will exalt themselves, that will attempt to exalt themselves against the knowledge of who you are. I take captive every enemy of distraction every enemy that would cause us to lose focus, that we are positioned as kings and as priests and as ministers unto our God. Thank you, John. I've got a lot of scripture um, that I will read and a lot of scripture I won't read and a lot of things I'll have to paraphrase because we've got a lot of ground to cover in a short time. So I'll be patient with me as I stick a little close to my notes because I want to make sure I get everything to you that the Lord is saying the way he's saying it. So my assignment today is to talk to you about consecration. And if that's a word you're not familiar with, we'll get there. But I want to start in Numbers chapter 6. And I want to talk about the vow of the Nazarite. And a vow of the Nazarite was a special vow or promise you could make to God to commit your life to Him in a different and new, new, new way. Can't say that word. So let me read here. I'm going to read out of the Amplified. And that word Nazarite, it means separated and dedicated. So as I read this, think about separated, dedicated. And the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, when either a man or a woman shall make a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, that is one separated and consecrated to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. He shall drink no vinegar of wine or of strong drink. And he shall drink no grape juice or eat grapes, fresh or dried. All the days of his separation, he shall eat nothing produced from the grapevine, not even the seeds or the skins. All the days of the vow of his separation and abstinence, there shall be no razor come upon his head until the time is completed for which he separates himself to the Lord. He shall be holy. And shall let the locks of the hair of his head grow long. All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body. He shall not make himself unclean for his father, mother, brother, or sister when they die, because his separation and abstinence to God is upon his head. All the days of his separation and abstinence, he is holy to the Lord. And if any man dies very suddenly beside him and he has defiled his consecrated head, then he shall shave his head on the day of his cleansing and on the seventh day he shall shave it. Okay, now we're going to go over to Judges. Go to chapter 13. And we're going to talk about Samson. And Samson was a Nazarite. So let's, let's see what the Lord says here about Samson. And the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. And there was a certain man of Zora of the tribe of Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have no children, but you shall become pregnant and bear a son. Therefore, beware and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall become pregnant and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God. Think separated, dedicated. Whenever I say Nazarite, think separated, dedicated. He shall be a Nazarite to God from birth, and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his face was like the face of the angel of God, to be greatly and reverently feared. I did not ask him from where he came, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall become pregnant and bear a son, and now drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite, separated. Dedicated to God from birth to death. So we see the theme here. Remember, a Nazarite couldn't have anything from the vine or any strong drink. Remember? Couldn't touch anything dead. (coughs) Excuse me. Couldn't have any strong drink. Couldn't touch anything dead. And what was the third thing? That's right. Couldn't cut the hair. Let's go to 14. And I'm going to give you a picture here as fast as I can about Samson. Now, he's all grown up now. He's on his assignment. And while he's on his assignment, he gets distracted. Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah saw one of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and he told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now remember, the Philistines are the enemies of Israel that he was raised up to conquer and save Israel from. Now he's gotten distracted and he wants to be unequally yoked and marry the enemy. And he said, now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your kinsmen or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistine? And Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is all right in my eyes. Do you see the willfulness of the flesh? Do you see the immaturity of the flesh? Isn't that what toddlers do, what babies do? I want it now. You get it for me. Get it for me now. That's what happens when the flesh is left unbridled. It gets willful. And instead of you being the employer and bossing your soul around, the employee starts to boss you. Okay, let's go over to the same chapter. We're going to jump up to eight. Now, we already saw Samson's flesh and his appetite starting to get him into trouble. We see it here again. And after a while, he returned to take her, and he turned aside to see the body of the lion. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. And he scraped some of the honey out until his hands went along and he scraped, excuse me, let's start over. And he scraped some of the honey out into his hands and went along eating. And he came to his father and mother and gave them some and they ate it. But he did not tell them he had taken the honey from the body of the lion. So we see his appetites starting to get him in trouble and demanding things from the enemy, now we see it's starting to invade upon his vow as a Nazarite. Remember? Dedicated. Consecrated. He's losing focus now. And now he's hiding it because, remember, a Nazarite is not supposed to touch anything dead. So he, he was out of boundaries when he touched that dead lion and then he secretly gave his parents some of the honey and didn't even tell them where it came from okay let's go to verse 12 and i'm going to read through this quickly because i have a lot to cover and samson said to them i will not put forth i i will now put forth a riddle to you If you can tell me what it is within seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you 30 linen undergarments and 30 changes of raiment. But if you cannot declare it to me, then shall you give me 30 linen undergarments and 30 changes of costly raiment? And they said to him, put forth your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, out of the eater, came forth food, and out of the strong came forth sweetness, and they could not solve the riddle. And on the seventh day they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to declare to us the riddle, lest we burn you and your father's household with fire. Have you invited us to make us poor? Is this not true? And Samson's wife wept before him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put forth a riddle to my countrymen and have not told the answer to me. And he said to her, behold, I have not told my father or my mother, and I shall not tell you. And Samson's wife wept before him. See all the manipulation that he's, that he's playing into. Uh, She wept before him. The seven days of their feast lasted. On the seventh day he told her because she pressed him with entreaties. She appealed to his flesh. She's appealing to his appetites again. Then she told the riddle to her countrymen. And the men of the city said to Samson on the seventh day, and let me stop here and back up a little bit. Do you see now how Samson's anointing, which we will get to, was in his hair. That's why he was commanded that he could not cut his hair because our hair represents our anointing and our glory. That's what it's saying in the New Testament when it says a woman shouldn't cut her hair. He's not talking about don't go to the beauty salon and get your hair cut. No, that's religious and it's dumb. He's talking about your glory. It's your glory. Upon your head. So we see here now that he's already broken his vow as a Nazarite to be separated and dedicated. But now he's doing it with no conscience because he's toying with his anointing. He says, I got a secret and you don't know what it is. But you know what? God knows our secrets, He knows our hearts. So let's see, I'm just about to the end of this here. Okay, and the men of the city said to Samson on the seventh day before sundown, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. And his heifer, he means his wife, I know. (laughs) Don't use that, husbands. (laughs) It won't get you far. (laughs) And the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went down to Ashcon and slew 30 men of them and took their apparel as spoil and gave the changes of garment to those who explained the riddle. And his anger was kindled and he went up to his father's house. But Samson's wife was given to his companion who was his best friend. And isn't that interesting how he's already stepped out of the boundaries, right? He's already stepped out of the boundaries. But God did his will in spite of him. You know, sometimes God's will happens in spite of us. He wants it to happen because of us. But sometimes because of our flesh, it has to happen in spite of us. But he would much prefer it would happen because of it. But see, God, because he is kingdom-minded, he used the anointing on Samson's life for the greater good of the kingdom. Because just because Samson lost sight of the mission, God didn't lose sight of the mission. It was all about Israel. It wasn't about Samson. And, you know, when you play around in the enemy's camp like Samson was doing, the enemy will convince you that you're gaining something. He thought he gained a wife, but he actually lost her. Now, let's see. Okay, I'm going to go to chapter 15 now. But some days later, in the time of wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife, taking along a kid as a token of reconciliation. And he said, I will go unto my wife in the inner chamber. But her father would not allow him to go. And her father said, I truly thought you utterly hated her. So I gave her to your companion. Is her younger sister not fairer than she? Take her, I pray you, instead. And Samson said to them, This time shall I be blameless as regards the Philistines, though though I do them evil. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes, or jackals, and took torches, and turning the foxes tail to tail, he put a torch between each pair of tails get the picture of all these foxes i mean what kind of prowess would it take to be able to take all these foxes and and get them together and set their tails on fire this is the kind of anointing get the picture of the kind of anointing that god put on his life it was powerful and when he had set the torches ablaze he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and he burned up the shocks and the standing grain, along with the olive orchards. Then the Philistines said, Who has done this? And they were told, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, If this is the way you act, surely I will take revenge on you. And after that, I will quit. And he smote them hip and thigh, unsparingly, a great slaughter. And he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock. So here again, we see God has performed his will against the enemies of Israel, but he didn't do it with Samson because of Samson. He did it in spite of Samson. Now, let, let's back up a little bit to consecration because as a Nazarite separated, dedicated, right? thats That's pretty much what that word consecration is saying. It means to dedicate, to anoint, to make holy, to set apart, special, unique, given over to fully. And that's what Samson was tasked with to do for Israel. That was his mission. That was his task. Just to do that, to be dedicated, separated, set yourself apart, and you just do this one thing. If I said, just take this bottle and walk it there, that was his task. Not all the other bottles, not all the other distractions, but you see how the enemy works? He was dedicated from his mother's womb. When we read in Numbers, it says, if a man or a woman wants to take a vow of the Nazarite, which implies that that's a vow you take willingly as an adult person. But Samson was so unique and set apart that he was consecrated from the womb. And God wanted it to come from a consecrated womb. So his mother had the same stipulation set upon her. She couldn't have wine. She couldn't have strong drink. Because God wanted him to come from a barren place, from fertile ground that hadn't been messed with by the law, that hadn't been messed with by all the junk. That's the place that Samson came from in his mother's womb. And we see here that Samson was not consecrated for himself. He was consecrated unto something. But do you see how when he lost focus, it was no longer about Israel. It became about personal revenge. God didn't send him on a mission to find a wife. He didn't send him on a mission to get honey out of a lion's carcass. He sent him to deliver Israel, to kill the enemies of Israel. But along the way, because he lost focus and he gave into his fleshly appetites and let them rule him, he lost focus of his mission and his task. And instead of it being about Israel, it became about him. I want to go over to 16 now. Then Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. What's happening again? Flesh, 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 flesh. More unbridled flesh. More untrained flesh. More undisciplined flesh, 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 flesh. God could get something done if he would just stop with the flesh, right? We read this and we think, how dumb are you, Samson? But we should ask ourselves, how dumb am I? 20 years God has been dealing with this in my flesh. He could get something done if I'd get out of the way. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the gate of the city. They were quiet all night, saying in the morning, When is it when it is light? We will kill him. But Samson lay until midnight, and then he rose and took hold of the doors of the city's gate and the two posts and pulling them up bar and all strength strength of the Lord. He put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is before Hebron. After this, he loved a woman. Here we go again, right? Here we go again. Here we go again. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek. Now we get to the story that we're all familiar with because her name is Delilah. So we all know Romeo and Juliet, Samson and Delilah, right? (laughs) Even non-believers know about Samson and Delilah. But what, if you haven't read the story, what you don't realize, there were several other Delilahs before Delilah. (laughs) So God, it didn't just happen that day. God was dealing with the Delilahs before Delilahs. What Delilahs is he dealing with in your life? How many Delilahs has it been? Let's see. And the lords of the Philistines came to her and said to her, meaning Delilah, entice him and see in what his strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him, to subdue him, and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. And Delilah said to Samson, Tell me, I pray you, wherein your great strength lies, and with what you might be bound to subdue you. Do you see what the devil's after? The devil's after your anointing. He's after the mission, the assignment that you were tasked with at birth, before birth, before your mother's womb. Jeremiah was tasked with the mission of being a prophet to the nations. And scripture says, I called you to do that, Jeremiah, before your mother's womb, I called you to do that. So we see here how now Samson's flesh has got him in a position with his enemies where they are really gunning for his anointing. So, Delilah, I'm going to try to recap the story so I don't have to read it all through here. But basically, she keeps pressuring him. She wants to know, how are you so strong? How 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 can you conquer like this? What is the secret? Do you know the devil wants your anointing? He wants your anointing. You think, well what can the devil do with my anointing? Have you got an anointed dynamic voice? Do you know the devil wants that? The devil wants that. Even if you're physically beautiful, do you know the devil wants that too? What if Esther's flesh, because she was so physically beautiful, drew her away from her mission? She wouldn't have saved Israel. She wouldn't have been there for such a time as that, for such a time as this. So what is it that God's anointed you with in your life that the enemy wants? Better pay attention because the enemy wants your anointing. So she pressures him, and he he tells her several different things. First, he tells her, if you tie me up with seven fresh cords, you can subdue me. And that wasn't true. So she says, she does it, and then she says, oh, come get him now, come get him now. And the Philistines show up, and he's tied with these cords, and he breaks these cords like they're a thread, and he overcomes. So she, she starts it again. Tell me, tell me. He said, if you tie me up with new ropes that haven't been used, then the enemy can subdue me. So she does that. Same thing, it doesn't work. So now she says, you know what? You're making a fool of me. You're making a fool of me. So he tells her something else. He says, okay, okay. If you weave seven braids of my hair together, And then after each time, again, the Philistines try to capture him and it doesn't work. So now the enemy ups the pressure, but she does it with manipulation. Do you know, the enemy will not always come boldly for your anointing. Sometimes he'll come covertly. The enemy has already come in through the door of his flesh appealing to his unbridled appetites. So now... She's going to be all sweet and manipulative. And she says, if you love me. Teenagers. (laughs) If you love me. She says, how can you say you love me? So she pressured him day after day. And so Samson finally reveals the true source of his anointing. In verse 17, it says, A razor has never been used on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I will become weak and like any other man. So now, pay attention to how it says, he just gives the enemy all his secrets for one thing, right? You just gave the enemy all your secrets. And then... He, he became, this, this Nazarite, Nazarite who was dedicated, became like any other man. He was no longer the definition of what we read consecrated to be, right? Consecrated meant dedicated, anointed, made holy, set apart, special, unique, fully given over to what God has called you to do. But because of his flesh and playing around in the enemy's camp at that moment, he became no longer special, no longer unique, no longer set apart, no longer holy. He was just like any other blow Joe who doesn't serve the Lord. And that's not who Samson was. But he was putting on an image that was not his. And here's also what's really sad. When we jump down to verse 20, she said to the Phil- she said the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep, like all the other times before, and said, "I will go out as I have time after time, and shake myself free." For Samson did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Ichabod, remember, Ichabod. The glory has departed. That's what Ichabod means. He had Ichabod written all over him, and he didn't even know it. See how cunning the enemy is? See how he draws you in to take your anointing? And and he's patient. He'll pressure you, just like Delilah did. If he can't bully you, and that doesn't work, then he'll manipulate you. But he won't give up. He'll pressure you and pressure you and pressure you until he just subtly takes your anointing. He subtly takes you off your mission, off your task. And then the next thing you know, is all about you. And he's forgotten about Israel. And now he's in a pickle and he doesn't even know that the Lord has departed. He doesn't even know it. He doesn't even know it because he's so used to walking in that disobedience when he feels like it, that he thinks that that's going to continue. And the Lord, that's okay. The Lord will just, the Lord will just keep showing up. He'll just keep showing up. He'll just keep showing up. The gifts and calls of God are irrevocable. He will never take them away. But he is not going to support your anointing if it's grounded in the wrong foundation of disobedience. If you're a prophet, you'll always be able to prophesy. But what fountain will it be coming from? The devil has prophets, right? Jezebel was a prophet. Jezebel had her team of prophets. So your gifts and your callings will stay there. Look at every person you think who's talented, who's a rock and roll singer, who's a even a Christian singer, but they are no longer on the path. They're using their anointing for the wrong purpose. We go down to verse 21. But the Philistines laid hold of him, bored out his eyes, and brought him to Gaza and bound him with two bronze fetters. Excuse me. And he ground at the mill in prison. How sad. How sad. Mighty man of God. How sad. And how telling that they gouged out his eyes because his spiritual vision He didn't didn't walk in his spiritual vision. He walked with his physical sight. That's what needed to go was the physical sight. It sounds harsh, but maybe that's what needed to go was the physical sight because that's what kept getting him in trouble was him focusing on how he could satisfy his fleshly appetite, how he could make Samson happy. 22, but the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. I love that because, like I said, the gifts and calls of God are without repentance. And if the devil has gotten your anointing, if he's affected, if he's cut some of your glory, It ain't going nowhere, guys. I'm going to grow it back. (laughs) I'm going to grow it right back. We might have to go down to ground zero to get it on the right foundation. But I'm going to grow your anointing back because the enemy can't take your anointing from you. You can give it to him, but he can't take it. Then we're going to read one more passage here and then we'll be done with Samson here. Verse 28. And there was no deliverer, because it was far from Sidon, and they had no business with anyone. It was in the valley. Let's see, I think I went to the wrong. Let's go back and see where we should be here. Let's go back. What I'm going to do is pretty much recap just what happens for you here. Everybody stand up for a minute. Let's stretch. Let's speak to our souls again. Tell your soul. Focus. Tell your mind. Focus. Basically, the story ends with uh, Samson asking God, give me strength one more time. Give me strength one more time, God. One more time. And God gives him the strength. And he takes down a house. He takes down a structure with a bunch of Philistines in it, and he conquers, he conquers, and he, you can sit down now, and he uh was, he was a uh, savior, a ruler in Israel for 20 years, but as good as that sounds, and that, that's good, you know, there's a scripture, I don't know where it's at, but it's coming to mind right now, it says, you ran well. There's no denying you ran well, but what hindered you? You ran, you ran pretty good, but what hindered you? Could those 20 years have been 40? Could 40 years have been 60? Could 60 years have been 80? Because remember, they lived a long time back then because they were much closer to that Garden of Eden of eternal life. So they lived a long time. And while we are grateful for that legacy, what would it have been like if Samson had bridled his flesh? What would it have been like if the enemy hadn't taken his sight and gouged out his eyes? That was not Samson's destiny. That was not his destiny. Yes, he's in the Bible. And he did great and mighty exploits, but that was not his original destiny as being a Nazarite from his mother's womb. Now we're going to hop over to the New Testament. And I'm going to use my uh, Passion Bible for this. I'm going to Matthew 8. After he came down from teaching on the hillside, this is Jesus, massive crowds began following him. Suddenly, a leper walked up to Jesus and threw himself down before him in worship and said, Lord, you have power to heal me if you really want to. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the leper and said, of course, I want to heal you. Be healed. And instantly, all signs of leprosy disappeared. Now let's go over to Matthew chapter 9. And let's start at verse 18. While Jesus was still speaking, an influential Jewish leader approached and knelt before him saying, help me. My daughter has just died. Please come and place your hand upon her so that she will live again. So Jesus and his disciples got up and went with him. Suddenly, a woman came from behind Jesus and touched the tassel of his prayer shawl for healing. She had been suffering from continual bleeding for 12 years, but had faith that Jesus could heal her. For she kept saying to herself, if I could only touch his prayer shawl, I would be healed. Just then Jesus turned around and looked at her and said, my daughter, be encouraged. Your faith has healed you. And instantly she was healed. When Jesus uh, finally entered the home of the Jewish leader, he saw a noisy crowd of mourners wailing and playing a funeral dirge in their on their flutes. He told them, you must leave, for the little girl is not dead. She's only asleep. Then everyone began to ridicule him. And after he made the crowd go out, he went into the girl's room and gently took hold of her hand. She immediately stood to her feet and the news of this incredible miracle spread. Now, we're going to land this plane soon, but why is this significant? Now, Jesus was from Nazarene, was from Nazareth. He was a Nazarene, but he was not a Nazarite. But he he is and was our Jewish high priest. So... Any good Jewish high priest wouldn't have anything to do with all those things Jesus just did here. He just blew the law out of the water. He crossed all their lines. He opened all their boxes. He just flowed over like a river. You ever try to catch an ocean in your arms? You can't. You can't catch an ocean. That's what he did with their law. He just blew it out of the water. In Leviticus 15, you don't have to go there, but it says any man or woman with a bodily discharge is to be called unclean. And anything that that person touches becomes unclean. So a priest and a high priest couldn't have anything. It was similar to the vow of the Nazarite because they couldn't have anything to do with a dead body. They couldn't have anything to do with lepers. They couldn't have anything to do with anybody who had a bodily discharge. And here we see in just a couple of short chapters, he's touching lepers. He's letting a woman with an issue of blood touch him. He's touching a dead body. He's doing all the things that their law said, hey, you're not supposed to do this. Hmm. So let me, let me ask you some questions. Why, and these are rhetorical questions, but why did Jesus do this? Why did he just break all their ceremonial laws? Was it just for the sake of being different? I think not. Was it just to be rebellious? No, no. He broke the ceremonial laws because it was unto something. It was unto something. He was bringing back that component of love and grace that, that was lacking in the law. He didn't want to take their laws away. That's not what he did. He was just fulfilling the law because what the law was missing was love, grace, mercy. And he is all that. Now, now, Jesus didn't just go hanging around leper colonies and seminary, cemeteries just because he could. He didn't say, "Hey, I'm free from your law, so I'm gonna go have a party down to the cemetery." I'm free from the law. I'm free. I'm going to go to the leper colony tonight because I'm free, buddy. No, he didn't say that. Jesus, when he encountered these people and these situations, he, he did this with the ceremonial law because he wanted to rescue them. He wanted to complete what the law was lacking. He wanted to add that element of humanity and God's love and God's compassion and God's forgiveness and second and third and fourth and so forth and so on chances. That's why he did it. It was unto something. It wasn't just for the sake of doing it. He didn't try to do away with the law so he could become a law unto himself. He wasn't a law unto himself. He was a Jewish man. When they washed their hands, I would imagine there's times he did too. But when they said, did you wash your hands? He probably said, Nope, it ain't going to either. <laughs> His freedom was not unto himself. Someone ask you, Yes, you're free. But what's your freedom unto? Is it unto something? Or do you just go around saying free, I'm free, just for the sake of saying I'm free? Why has God made you free from the law? Because, you know, as unbelievers, you hear it in the world all the time. My rights, my rights. I have a right to this, I have a right to that. Young people, you've heard that song. I'm free to do what I want any old time. It's nay that. No, you ain't. Not if you love Jesus. You're not free to do what you want any old time. You are free. Old people, we're not free to do what we want any old time. No. You know, <laughs> my dad um, used to say jokingly, He was a very humble man, but sometimes jokingly he'd say, I don't have to do nothing. All I have to do is stay black, pay my taxes, and die. (laughs) Isn't that how we like to think? I'm free, white, and 21. I can do what I want, but not in Jesus you can't. Believers say, I am free to be a servant of the Lord. I am free, I am free, I am free to be a servant of the Lord. That's why we're free. And see, freedom doesn't mean that there's no boundaries. What freedom means is there's no limitations. Because he's an unlimited God. I'm going to say that again. Freedom does not mean that there are no boundaries. Freedom means there's no limitations because he's an unlimited God. And Jesus, he determines our boundaries and our limitations. People don't determine our boundaries. The devil cannot determine our boundaries. Religion can't determine our boundaries. And we ourselves do not get to determine our boundaries. You know, don't let the devil deceive you into believing that living a holy, consecrated life is religious. No, it's not religious to be holy. You know, don't let your avoidance of the religious spirit deceive you into thinking that there is no standard. There is a standard. There is a highway of holiness. There is a standard of holiness. Now, what you're consecrated unto, I may not be consecrated unto, but everybody here should be consecrated unto something. There should be something that you're consecrated unto. What are you free unto? Because, you know, Christianity, it will always, always require a sacrifice. And a sacrifice means you want it. You know, give God something, that thing that you said, no, God, I'll give you all that, but not this. That's the thing he wants. It's easy to find out what you're consecrated on Just think about the thing you want most <laughs> that you shouldn't have. Bingo, you found it. <laughs> you didn't need to be coached because you found it. But Christianity will always requires sacrifice but you know what so does the devil if you live for the devil do you think he doesn't require sacrifice you think he doesn't have an altar that he wants you to sacrifice your anointing to so you're going to sacrifice something so why not give it to Jesus who can give you beauty for ashes he might take you down to the bottom to dismantle you but your hair's going to grow back. Ladies, you ever lost your hair and you anything? Dear God, my hair, what's going on? And people say, oh, it'll grow back. <laughs> he wants your anointing to grow back. If you've sacrificed or compromised your anointing to something else, someone else, let him grow your anointing back. We're not free just so we can be a law unto ourselves. Jesus did not make a law out of his freedom. He was against the deadness of the law. But he was not against the spirit of the law. So Jesus didn't say, because I'm not bound by the law. I'm going to make a new law about freedom and I'm free unto myself to do whatever. No. Then we, then we just go back to religion on the opposite spectrum. We have the dead letter of the law over here telling you everything you do is wrong and you can't do nothing. Then on the opposite spectrum, we have this religious spirit that convinced us that we're avoiding the religious spirit because we're free to do whatever we want. Jesus didn't make a law out of his freedom. Jesus did through the Holy Spirit what he saw his father do. If his father didn't do it, he didn't do it. Jesus' true holiness came from mirroring the father. Mirroring the father. That's holiness. That's consecration. Mirroring the father. Not marrying what the desire of your heart is, what the desire of the Father's heart is. That's holiness. Marrying His image. Yes, you're free to choose. We're all free to choose. But I want you to start asking yourself, what is my freedom unto? Is it unto something? Or am I boasting in my freeness just for the sake of being free? While some are boasting in their freedom, Paul, do you know, he boasted in his bondage to Christ. He went around saying, I'm a slave to Jesus. You don't hear anybody saying that today. I don't go around saying, I am a slave to Jesus Christ. <laughs> some days when he tells me, I got a a bobby pin and I'm trying to pick lock the chains (laughs) because Jesus, I don't want to go there. But that's what we're free. We're free to go back and be a slave to Jesus. Not to religion, not to the law, not to the world, not unto ourselves. I'm ready for that. Next one, John. No, uh, misty one. Keep your focus because we want to pray. Pray one more time. Korebe shekete herobokondor. Stay positioned in your place. Don't you come down. Stay positioned in your place. It's, um, I pledge my allegiance. Stay positioned in your place. Don't worry about any of this. Don't get distracted. Stay positioned with Jesus. Begin to if you're if you're getting distracted wandering, begin to speak to your soul. Be still soul. Command your soul. Your soul's the land and you're the landlord. Your soul's the employee and you're the employer. Speak to it. We are kings and priests in this place. We are unique. We're not going to be like Samson and become just like any other man, any other woman. We're unique. We're supposed to be that way. He calls us a peculiar people, peculiar kings and priests. You're out of the box so you can be unique and peculiar. You're not out of the box so you can be like everybody else. Let these questions go over in your mind. What are you free unto? What are you free unto? What, what's that yes? that he's called you to, that you answered. Be free unto that yes. Samson's task was to deliver Israel. His task was to free them of their enemies. He lost focus of his yes. Don't lose focus of your yes. kor de shekete koraba khatam ondore beshekete kor de shekete mondere beshekete aro koroboshokondere beshekete harob kondore beshekete koraba khataro boshete beshekete do with every one of our hearts jesus Deal with every one of our hearts, every one of our Delilahs, every one of our Isaacs that we're having trouble surrendering, where we have built an altar to our flesh, where we have built an altar to the devil, where we have built an altar to the world, where we have built an altar of compromise. Lord, we allow you to tear down those altars. We allow you to tear down those altars. I pledge my allegiance. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, baptize my heart. Mm -hmm. That's the one I want. Come on. Speak to your soul. Speak to your soul. Speak to your mind. Boss your mind around. Command your mind around. Tell it. Tell it. Jesus is in control. And you will submit. Tell your soul. Be still, my soul. Let him fall on you. Let him have his way with you. Let him have his way with you. Let him have his way with you. Oh, let him fall on you. Let him wash your heart with the water of his word. Tears of repentance, surrender. Let him have his way. I don't care how many times you've heard this song. Listen to it with a new dedication, new ears, a new heart. Let him baptize you. Let him wash you with the water of this word. Remember, we have communion in this place. We just broke his body. We have to break his body, eat his flesh, drink his blood. Drink his blood. Drink his blood into you. The life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. Whatever you're lacking, the life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. The life is in the blood. Let him dismantle you. Your hair will grow back. Your hair will grow back. We've all had our heads shaved by the enemy. We've all had our heads shaved by the flesh. We've all had our heads shaved by our own self-will and our desires and our rebellion. But let him dismantle you and your hair will grow back. Are you offended because he wants you to be dedicated? consecrated because things in your life are coming down. down. Let them come 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 down. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Say, Jesus, dismantle me. Let them come down. Oh, let my hair grow back. Let my hair grow back. Let my glory. Let my glory go back. It's a new day. It's a new day. He wants to give you a new glory. He wants to give you a new beauty for your ashes. Let him breathe fire on your yes. Oh, let him breathe fire on your yes. Have an honest conversation with him. If your yes was half-hearted, that's okay. Tell him the truth. Tell him the truth. Say, Jesus, I want to give you my yes, but I don't know how. And ask him to help you how. Do it. Tell Jesus, I want to give you my yes. And if you don't want to give him your yes, say, Jesus, be honest with him. I don't want to give you my yes, but I need you to fill me with desire. He said, if we hunger, if we thirst after righteousness, we will be filled. Ask him to stoke the fire. Ask him to stoke the fire. Ask him to put life onto your yes. Ask him. Ask him. We have not because we ask not. Ask him to light you a fire. Light you a fire. What's your allegiance to? Who's your allegiance to? Where is your allegiance? I love my country. I love my country. But my allegiance is not to a flag. I love my husband. He loves me. I'm dedicated to my husband. He's dedicated to me, but my allegiance is not to my husband. It's not to my children, my grandchildren. My allegiance is to Jesus. It's not to my political opinions. It's not to my thoughts. It's not to my ideas. It's not to my wants. It's not to the false idols that I put on the false altars. My allegiance is to Jesus. Can you say that? My allegiance is to Jesus. Don't be offended because it's coming down. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God is going to come down in this place. The enemy has been put on notice. You're coming down. You're coming down. You cannot resist the hand of the Almighty. You cannot resist the hand of the Almighty. Who are you, O mountain? Who are you, O mountain? I speak grace to you. I level the mountain with grace. Because we are new covenant priests. We are new covenant kings. Then we're not built on the deadness of the law. But we're built on the law that is on better promises. His blood. His blood is the better promise. His blood. His blood is the better promise. Oh, can you have an honest talk with him? Oh, can you get for real with him? Can you tell him? Because he already knows. He already knows. He already knows. Just lay it out. Don't you let yourself get offended. Don't you let yourself get offended? Don't let yourself get offended. Uh Uh-uh. No, devil. No, devil. Spirit offense you laid. Spirit of offense, you lay. Spirit of offense, you lay. God told me once about offense. He said offense is not birth; it's adopted. It. So if you got offended in this place, you chose it. You chose it. Where's my drummer? Can you drum for me? Would you drum for me? Please, would you drum for me? Okay, we'll be our own drum. Can you guys be human drums for me? Let's stomp our feet. That's right, stomp your feet. We're going to stomp the devil right out of here. We pledge our allegiance. You don't need to play it again, John. You can stop it. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus. We pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus. We pledge our allegiance. To the Lamb. When you pledge your allegiance, you gotta take action. You gotta make a move. Even if it's the wrong move, make a move. What is it they say, young people? Bust a move. I want you to bust a move in this place for Jesus. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus. To Jesus. We pledge our allegiance. To the Lamb, how we pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus, how we pledge our allegiance to the Lamb, because it's all coming down. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus, how we pledge our allegiance To the Lamb. It's not to our job. Uh, We pledge our allegiance. To Jesus. To Jesus. Uh, We pledge our allegiance. To the Lamb. It's not even to our ministry. We pledge our allegiance. To Jesus. To Jesus. Uh, We pledge our allegiance. To the Lamb. It's not your dreams. It's his dream. He put the dream in you. You think you're desiring it, but he's desiring it for you. Yeah, come on. If you mean it, say it. To Jesus, to Jesus, we pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. We're army. We march like an army. We march in cadence. Shoulder to shoulder we march. Your enemy is my enemy. And my enemy is your enemy. There will be no casualties. There's no casualties in this war. Hey, let's put the enemy on notice. There's no casualties in this war because we just gave it all to Jesus. You're not getting my anointing. You're not getting my anointing because we pledge our allegiance to Jesus. To Jesus. We pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. We pledge our allegiance. Let's start a procession to see Jesus. Come on. As you pledge your allegiance, get in this line behind me and brother. I dare you. I double dog dare you. I double dog dare you. As you pledge your allegiance, you get in this line and you say, it. make a public declaration to the devil. I'm pledging my allegiance. <laughs> and I'm going to eat his flesh on the way by. And I'ma drink his blood. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus. We pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. We pledge our allegiance. To Jesus, to Jesus, we pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus, we pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus, we pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus. We pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus. We pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. we pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus. We pledge our allegiance. To the Lamb, when it's all coming down, hey, we're gonna let it come down. It's all coming down. Oh, Holy Spirit, so it's going down. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus. We pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus. To Jesus, we pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. We pledge our allegiance to Jesus, to Jesus. We pledge our allegiance to the Lamb. Let it all come down. Give yourself a big old hand clap. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. UL. That's what I'm talking about.